What does it mean to be free? What is freedom? It's part of our national identity, the American consciousness, phrases like, let freedom ring, give me liberty or give me death. Our freedom isn't free. They're all part of our culture. But beyond national identity and political discussions, what does it mean to be free personally? Does it mean you get to do what you want when you want, how you want, as much as you want. Does freedom mean living free from any constraints, any guardrails, any guidelines in our lives? Here's the thing. If you talk with folks, maybe from your own experience, you've, you've experienced this as well. If you talk with folks and they're honest with you about the things that they thought would bring them freedom and joy and hope, So many times, part of their story is this. The thing that I thought would make me happy, it actually didn't fulfill all my hopes and dreams. This is is part of the story of folks that get caught or trapped in addiction, right? That, That something that they began to use to help them cope with life soon became something that took over and ate their lunch. Here's part of the paradox and the glory of Christianity. True freedom, what we're going to talk about this morning as gospel freedom, it actually comes as we acknowledge and admit and surrender to the fact that we can't find our ultimate joy and fulfillment and freedom in life in ourselves. It comes as we admit that we're broken and sinful people and that God himself can heal us and help us and make us whole. That message, the story of God's grace, intersects in our lives through the story and life of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. As we think about gospel freedom, it rests in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And remembering that we can have forgiveness, we can be accepted and loved and adopted and empowered and kept by God, by grace, through Jesus Christ. Now you may be thinking to yourself, Josh, um, why are you talking about freedom? You read the Ten Commandments to us. You read God's law. What in the world does that have to do with freedom? Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. Freedom, particularly freedom in God's love for us, is the key, the linchpin, the secret to properly understanding God's law in our lives. See, most people think about the Ten Commandments in this way, I believe. The Ten Commandments are simply a list of rules that we have to follow in order to make God happy. If you don't break any of the big ones, then you might have a chance of getting into heaven. Or they think about God's law and God's commands like this. They're just a list of rules by this cosmic taskmaster who wants us to have no joy or hope or fun in life. And so God just wants us to be miserable, so he gave us his law. What I want us to consider this morning is that there is gospel freedom in God's word, in God's law. I want us to think about gospel freedom and loving God. That's a theme this morning, gospel freedom and loving God. And the first thing I want us to consider is the fuel of gospel freedom and loving God. 
You guys ever gotten the lawnmower out on a Saturday morning, maybe Friday afternoon, and uh, you're going to mow the grass, and you pull, and you pull, and you pull, and the mower just won't start. So you check the air filter, you make sure that the spark plug wire is connected, you pull and pull and pull, and nothing happens, and then you realize, I forgot to put gas in the tank. And so you unscrew the cap and you look in and sure enough, it is bone dry. Our mowers, our cars, our bodies, they won't run unless we have fuel, unless they're fueled with something. The same is true for us in our spiritual lives. Because of sin in us and in this world, we cannot truly honor God and obey God and follow God on our own. Even though that's what we were created to do, we can't do it without God's mercy and His grace, without the strength and the power and the fuel that God provides for us. And Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, reminds us of two of the essential components of that fuel of gospel freedom that helps us to love God. One of the things that helps fuel gospel freedom in us loving God is remembering that God has spoken. God has spoken. Look at verse 1. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying... This is one of those classic verses that you could skip right over and pay no attention to. You rush to the next thing. But it's very, very important. Part of the fuel of gospel freedom and loving God is living with coming to terms with the fact that God has spoken into this world. He spoke in this passage, yes, but he also spoke the world, the universe, mankind, into existence. Even though Adam and Eve broke his commandments, he spoke words of blessing and promise to them in the midst of their brokenness and despair. God spoke to Noah and to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He spoke to his people through Moses. He spoke at the burning bush. He spoke to them in the Passover in directing them out of Egypt and carrying them on eagle's wings through the Red Sea on dry land. He is speaking now through his majestic holiness and righteousness to his people. And as we look forward, we know that God continued to speak throughout the Old Testament, through David and Solomon and the prophets. God has spoken. He spoke through John the Baptist. And he spoke in these last days, what does the book of Hebrews say? In his son, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has spoken. And he's not just spoken with his words, he's spoken with his presence with us. See, life is hard. It's so easy for us to get overwhelmed and discouraged, to lose hope. There's so many times in our lives when we don't know what to do, we don't know how to respond. That's when we need to remember God has spoken. It's part of the fuel of gospel freedom and loving Him. God is not silent. He hasn't left us without His Word and without His presence in this world. And in those times where you're overwhelmed and stressed out and you don't know what to do, you remember, you know what? I'm not alone. 
God has spoken. I am with you. I'm in control. I love you. I'll carry you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am the Lord your God. The Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And that's just the beginning. God has spoken. And that can help fuel gospel freedom in loving Him. What else do we see from this passage? We see that God has not only spoken, but part of the fuel of gospel freedom and loving Him is remembering that God has saved. God has saved. Before He mentions His law, these commandments, He starts here in verse 2. Look at it with me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, About a month ago at Easter, we talked about first things first discussions. This is a first things first discussion. The order here is very, very important. If we mix up, up the order between law and gospel, the order of salvation and God's commandments, then we miss the whole of God's purpose. We miss the whole thing. Contrary to popular belief, many men, maybe some men even in this room, can actually use directions to put things together. It is possible, guys. Uh, and uh, maybe there's some of you in this room that, that you just tear into that thing and you, you know how it's supposed to go together and you, you start to put it together and then you get maybe halfway, maybe three-quarters of the way done and you realize you use the wrong bolts and screws in the wrong places and you have to take it all apart And you have to look at the directions, and you have to start over. The order of salvation to God's law is very, very important. It's part of the fuel for gospel freedom and loving God. This order, salvation, redemption, the exodus, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, those things come first. They're foundational linchpins in the reality of us understanding who God is and the place of His law in our lives. Remember what 1 John says? We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. That's what this preface to the Ten Commandments is all about. God is saying, I love you. I've redeemed you. I bore you on eagle's wings. I made and kept my covenant with you. Therefore, because of my salvation, here is my law. Here are the things that will help you live a life of human flourishing. Here's what will help you live in the way that I made you to live, the way to to blessing and flourishing. These laws are not the way that you get into heaven by not breaking the big ones. They're the path of gospel freedom that we'll talk about in just a moment. So a couple of questions as we think about that fuel for gospel freedom And loving God. First of all, is God's love, God's saving, forgiving, redeeming, transforming love offered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that the defining story and reality in your life? You peel back all the the, the part of the onion, you peel back who you are and your identity and you get to the core, you get to the center And is this truth at the heart, at the core of who you are as a person? I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm Jesus' little lamb. 
I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Jesus Christ is my life. That's the first step to true freedom. If that is who you are, Christ is my life. It's not in being funny or being beautiful or being rich or being athletic or being smart or any other thing. True freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Knowing that and remembering in that can be something that can fuel us toward freedom. Another question that I need to ask, another thing to bring out is, uh, is this reality. Christians must remember that God has saved us. Do you remember that? Now, it's, on the surface, it seems ridiculous. Of course, I remember that. But here's the deal. We all suffer from spiritual amnesia. Our default mode in the flesh is to believe and drift back to. There's no way God could love me. There's no way I could be accepted by Him. And the way that I'm okay now and the way things are, the reason things are going well is because I haven't done anything bad lately. Even though we know better, even though we've heard it countless times, we drift back into thinking that says, we obey God so He'll love us. And that misses the connection. That's why they had the Passover. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. So we can remember, oh yeah, salvation belongs to the Lord and not to me. We never get over the cross of Jesus Christ. We never outgrow the gospel. So God has spoken, God has saved. Those are part of the fuel for gospel freedom and loving Him. But the second thing I want us to see this morning is the path of gospel freedom and loving Him. This past October, I had the privilege to go to uh, the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I got to hike to the top of Flat Top Mountain. And it's a mountain that has a flat top. Uh, (laughs) uh, It's a beautiful hike. It's in the Rocky Mountain National Uh, Park. It starts at Bear Lake and you wind your way upwards through the trees, through the forest, and then you eventually get above the tree line. Once you get above the tree line, it's basically just a bunch of rocks. And so as you're walking and making your way up, it's easy to get off the path because it's hard to see exactly where it is. But there are these piles of stones, maybe three or four feet high that help show you where the path is, which they told me, which is especially helpful if there's snow on the ground, so you can see these places where the path is. They were put there by hikers, by rangers, so that you can see their trail markers. They show you where the path is. God's law, the Ten Commandments, His Word, His ways, they mark the path of freedom for us as human beings. It shows us the path of having been loved by God and then following in His commandments as part of becoming and living in the way that we are meant to live. It's a gracious reminder. The Ten Commandments are a gracious reminder. I love you. Now live within these boundaries. Your life will find meaning and purpose. So let's highlight these first four commandments. That's what we're going to do 
just now. Next week we'll look at the second table of the law. You remember the summary of God's law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So now we're going to think about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me uh, or besides me. Literally in the Hebrew, it, it means you shall have no other gods before my face. And this is a, a beautiful picture, a beautiful way to put it. When we turn away from God, the true and living God, to worship anyone or anything else, it truly is done in His face. Does that make sense? I mean, it's done in His face. It's a direct attack on the covenant that He made with us. It's like marriage. The ultimate direct attack on a marriage is breaking that marriage covenant through unfaithfulness. And one of the things the first commandment tells us to do is to remain faithful to God. It's part of the path of gospel freedom and loving Him. And it doesn't mean that we never make mistakes, but it means that we come back to Him, staying close to Him, living our life with confession and repentance, confessing and remembering that He is our portion and our strength forever. Part of the way to do that is through what we know as the means of grace. So, preaching, reading the Word of God, prayer, the Lord's Supper, communion, fellowship with one another. It's experiencing those things are ways that we're connected to, we remain faithful to the Lord our God. The second commandment is a lot like it, and it basically tells us to accept no substitutes for God. Part of the path toward gospel freedom is remaining faithful to God and accepting no substitutes. We've all been offered name brand items at cheap prices before, right? Okay, so you're telling me it's a Rolex, but you're trying to sell it for $10 on the street. Uh, Probably not. The second commandment's a lot like the first. It has to do with worship, but specifically it's Reminding us, don't be tricked, don't be fooled by trying to worship idols. Accept no substitutes. But let's think about it. Why is this commandment even here? I mean, who in their right mind would take some stone or a piece of wood and carve it into something and and worship it? What kind of people would take all their gold and melt it together and create a calf and then try to worship God through bowing down to that calf. I mean, what kind of people would put their hope and trust in something that was created, another person or a thing, in the 21st century to find happiness and fulfillment? I mean, why is this command even here? Actually, um, it's a problem. With us. With them and with us. The rest of the Bible reminds us that idolatry is a huge problem with human beings. And it's way bigger than bowing down to a statue. Tim Keller's written a wonderful book about this called Counterfeit Gods. This is one of the greatest temptations we face as human beings, is worshiping idols. We can so easily bow down and worship creatures, creation, rather than God himself. And, and our idols are simple and complex. Power, comfort, control, 
Think about how tempted we are to bow down and worship approval, acceptance, sex, pornography, alcohol, drugs, money, satisfaction, our own bodies, our intellect, our ideas, our tribe, our perspective, our kids, our families. When we turn to anything besides the Lord as our ultimate sense of worth and satisfaction and freedom, we won't be satisfied. It's like the guy who bought that fake Rolex and goes around to all his friends with, with a twinkle in his eyes and a big smile on his face. And he's like, check it out, I got, a, I got a Rolex. And his friends are like, you know that's fake, right? No, no, this is the real deal. He knows the guy at the factory. I got a great deal on this. It's the real thing. And we know it's fake. That's what idolatry is like. And how do we identify the idols in our lives? What diagnostic questions can we ask? Well, one of the ways we can help identify what the idols are or what they might become is follow your emotions. What are the things that make you so, so, so excited in your life? What are the things that you think, if this is taken away, my life wouldn't be worth living anymore? What makes you so angry and so sad? What are the things that you're willing to lie about or rationalize in yourself about? Those are a few questions that might help us to get at the idols in our lives. It's way closer to home than we thought, isn't it? Here's the thing, God is a jealous God, the text says, and he's not a jealous God like that that possessive boyfriend or girlfriend you had in high school. God is a possessive God because he made us and he knows us and he loves us and he knows what's best for us and he wants what's best for us. Idolatry destroys the walking in the path of God's commandments brings freedom. Here's the thing, if you're caught in an idol, in idolatry, in a sin, what's the path toward freedom? First of all, confess it to God. Tell God openly and honestly about it. He knows already. But talk to Him. Another thing uh, means having the courage to go and tell at least one other person. You know what? I'm trapped. This is eating my lunch. I need help. Could you help me walk through this? Because shame and guilt, it, where does it grow? It grows and flourishes in the dark. And even though the idea of coming out to light sounds scary, and it is, it's the path toward healing. Third of these first four commandments is honoring God. For many of us, a name is just a name. But for many cultures, including the ancient Hebrew culture, a name carried weight and meaning and identity. identity. John Currid says it like this, the name often represents the character of a person. And we talk about this, we want to have a good name. And there are people, for good or bad, as soon as you mention their names, you think about their character, their life. Think about this, Yahweh, the Lord, is the personal name for God. It's his personal covenant promise-filled name. And when we take God's name in vain and just toss it around like an adjective that doesn't matter, when we grumble and complain in our lives, when we blame God for the things that are going wrong in our lives, we're not living in the path 
of flourishing and honoring God with our thoughts and our words and our actions. The part of the path of gospel flourishing is honoring God with our lips. The last one I want us to think about this morning is to rest in God. Part of the path of gospel freedom and loving God is resting in God. And this spiritual principle has its moorings, it has its foundation in the practice of our lives. The week in, week out worship of God, resting in God, setting boundaries in our lives so that we can live in a way with the idea of Sabbath. And so many times the idea of the Sabbath and and rest and the Lord's Day, it just gets sidetracked because people focus on the do's and the don'ts. What I want us to think about together are just some principles about how resting in God is actually the path of gospel freedom. First of all, we need to remember, because of the fourth commandment, God is not a taskmaster. Remember that. God is not a taskmaster. He's not a slave driver. He put in place once a week a time for folks to press pause so that we can rest our bodies and our souls and our minds and focus on resting in God. Sabbath rest is a gift. I love the way that Jesus Christ interacts with the Pharisees in the Gospels, especially in the book of Mark. And they, uh, they were angry with him because of the things that he was doing on the Sabbath day, like healing a man whose arm was withered up. He brought life on the Sabbath and they were angry about it. And he said this, the Sabbath is not for man, but man for the Sabbath. That basically is saying that, that God's rest for you is a gift. It's not about all the rules. It's not about you following certain things necessarily, but it's a gift for you. And that's hard for us to remember. Another thing that the Sabbath teaches us, the idea of resting in God, is that we're not God. It's so hard for us to stop. It's so hard for us to rest Because we have to go and be running and working and doing and planning all the time. And and this is a simple reminder. You're not God. The world will not come to a halt if you stop working for one day. And it also helps prevent drift. Kids, you remember being at the beach with your family. And your mom and dad, they come down into the water. You're playing in the ocean. They come down and... You, you have ended up over here, but everyone is camped out right here. And they come down and they say, you need to come back over here. What happened? Did you swim away from your parents? No. The ocean current just slowly brought you down the beach. And one of the, the, the blessings of Sabbath rest, of worshiping God, of, of remembering the Lord's day, is it helps prevent drift in our lives. Putting boundaries and practices of healthy rest and worship help anchor us, help hold us, help keep us near God and one another. God's Word, God's law, especially these commandments about loving Him, remind us the path of gospel freedom. God loves us, and this is the way that He tells us that we should live. So, How do we close? With one question. What if I don't love God? See, that's really what this is all about. 
gospel freedom, and loving God. What if I don't love God? If you're asking that question, what a great question. How could I love God? What does it look like to love God? Well, you have to look at God's love for you. Remember probably the most famous verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't know what it means to love God, you don't love God, look at God's love for you. Look at what that looks like. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at the sacrifice that he made. Look at the empty tomb. Think about who Jesus is and what he's done and the extent to which God has come to display and to secure his love for you. If you don't love God, I, I encourage you, I dare you to meditate on, to think about, to come to terms with God's love for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a really long time and it's hard for you to admit it, but you have that same question. You know what? I don't really love God very much. I wish I loved Him more. I don't really know what loving Him feels like or looks like. I've forgotten that. You know what you should do? Ask Him to show you the same thing, that love from from God. You, you grow in your love for Him by looking at His love for you. Remember, we already quoted it. God, we love God. Why? Because He first loved us. You remember when you were a little kid and you crawled into your mom and dad's lap and maybe you had bumped your head or scraped your knee or maybe you were just tired and that was the place where you felt the most safe and secure. That is true for God's children. We can crawl into the lap of a loving father who cares for us and loves us. You remember the prodigal son? He ran away, he spent all the money, and then he decided he'd kind of, he'd come back and live with his father as a servant. At least the servants have food to eat. And the Bible tells us that uh, his dad was out working and he was watching. He was waiting for his son to return. You remember what happened when he saw his son, he picked up his garments, he ran to him, and and he kissed him. And I bet it was more than just one, you know, little kiss on the cheek. I like to picture the mom or the dad of of a soldier that's come back from war, and they just can't stop kissing their son because they love him so much. Do you believe that God loves you like that? That radical, embarrassing, I don't care who sees or who knows, I'm going to kiss my son because he was dead and now he's alive. That kind of love is ours in Christ Jesus. And it may seem like the last place to think about it, but the Ten Commandments remind us of God's love for us. We have this great privilege as human beings. Not only to revere God and to fear God and to obey God and honor God, we have this privilege to love God because He's first loved us. Let's pray.